Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro, and I'm delighted to have as my guest in this episode, Dr. Mikhail Varshavsky, a family medicine physician who is widely known as Dr. Mike. And he is widely known as Dr. Mike across all of our social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. He has really done amazing work in creating a footprint to share sound information. And this is where he and I spend our time in this conversation. We really get granular around what it's like to have influence and how to use that influence with restraint and how to use that influence effectively, especially in this COVID-19 pandemic. And these are valuable lessons for any physician or any healthcare professional who is interested in being in the social media world, creating content of any kind, whether it's a single tweet or starting a YouTube channel. We spend time discussing this this issue, what we call the line, and it's where do we not want to go? How far can we go and still be productive and still share good information and still be committed to getting better? Mike gives us some really nice examples of how the line can be crossed and different ways to respond to this. We put this in parallel with another part of our conversation, which is how fast things move and how quickly things are changing, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. We recorded this episode on April 14th, and on April 16th, one of the people who was an example that he used, Dr. Oz, made a whole nother set of wildly inappropriate statements that I'm not going to give specific voice to in this introduction. My discussion with Mike around what had happened prior to this stayed in this episode because it's still an important process. It's still important work. His example is still really sound, and I think there's good lessons to be taken from it. What he and I will need to get into the next time we talk on the podcast is what do you do when that feedback, what do you do when those approaches are not working? We flipped a lot of rocks in this episode. We got into some really important stuff. Anyone who's interested in having any part of social media during this pandemic, this is essential listening. And it was an absolute pleasure to have Mike on the show to discuss all of these different things. Before we get to the episode, just want to remind everyone, please check out the archive of Explore the Space. If you enjoy listening to Dr. Mike in this episode, definitely go into the archive. There's all kinds of great content related to topics like social media, climate change, leadership, gun violence, gender equity, and so much more. Please take a look through the archive of evergreen content. There's amazing conversations and guests for you to check out and download. You can find Explore the Space wherever you like to download your shows, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Definitely please leave us a rating and a review. Definitely subscribe because there will be more great episodes to come. I'm very active on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show and on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. And you can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. It was great fun having Mike on the show. It was really interesting to learn more about the world of Dr. Mike and to better understand the tools and the levers that we all have at our disposal to use social media to share information effectively and appropriately and correctly. 
It's becoming by the day a more and more prominent part of our daily work. This was a really great opportunity to do what we do in this space, which is to keep learning and to keep trying to get better. So without further ado, Dr. Mike Barshavsky. Mike, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get uh, some quality medical chat going. That's right. So speaking of chat, you and I actually started early. We started a couple of days ago. We were messaging back and forth. It was it was late at night, and we both probably should have been trying to get some sleep, but we weren't. <laughs> we got into this topic, though, because we were both seeing the same things on social media, and this is the right place, I think, for us to start. Acknowledging the background that you have, acknowledging the work that you've done, and the number of places in which you are a part of the sort of media world, both within medicine and then to the public at large, right? YouTube, Instagram, print media, television. You've made that work. You've gotten you've gotten yourself out there. You and I were talking about this idea, and, and I think we both were calling it the line. And it sounds kind of bland, but I think if we say it right and we frame it right, we can establish what we're talking about. There is this boundary, I think, for people in medicine, physicians, nurses, any healthcare professional who is wanting to contribute to the dialogue, whether it's COVID-19 or any other topic, there's, there's that, there's a line there and we're trying to figure out what that is. There's no one better, I think, to start that conversation with than with you. We started it the other night. I've been thinking about it a lot, but when you sit and you hear me reflect back to you, this idea of the line in terms of creating content, dialogue, exchanging information, what are the first things that come to your mind around that? Yeah, I mean, I very much, first of all, appreciate you saying that uh, I'm the right person to speak on this because it's always been my goal to sort of, without even thinking about it, to develop this line because I want to make people pay attention. I want them to pay attention to good evidence-based medicine. But that's tricky, right? Because most people aren't interested in dense scientific info, understandably so, because it's not for everybody. So with my YouTube channel, with my TV appearances, my goal has always been, how can I hook people, keep them interested, but still toe the line of being an EBM physician? And it's actually a tremendous challenge, and it requires constant reevaluation. Because every piece of content you put out there is a new challenge. Each time you have to talk on a given subject, you have to understand that you're not just talking to one person sitting in front of you. It may sound like that, but you have to expect that you're going to have people who dislike you listen to that message, people who you may be offending listen to that message, and uh, people who are completely on the same page. So the fact that you have to take so much into consideration when you're creating a piece of content for social media, it's scary, and it can be an overwhelming and tedious process. I've seen countless doctors try their hand at this and get very demotivated quickly because they get bad feedback uh, they get some negative critiques. And as we all know, there's plenty of trolls on the internet that are usually iconless, don't have a name behind them, that are simply there to stir up and cause trouble. So uh, I understand why my fellow colleagues are hesitant to get on social media, to start putting advice out there, to create content, because it's hard. You're going to get negative critique. You may say things wrong. You're going to have to learn and adapt. It's not an easy process whatsoever. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're hitting on the right things. I agree with you. I think that there is a, a component of 
courage, but there's also that component of acknowledging that it's it's becoming part of our profession. And as we embrace that and develop the skills, we want to have at least I, I envision as we go forward in our careers, because you and I have a long road ahead of us still, hopefully, legions of physicians contributing, right? That we're just in the vanguard of generational work. And so I think that's why it is so important that these ideas about where is the line? What is the right way to do it? How do you deal with the negative feedback? How do you deal with the trolls to acknowledge the goal is to get the right information to the right people at the right time? As you said, right, evidence-based. It's not easy, but it's it's part of the work. And so I, I'm right there with you. That there's nothing in what you just said that I would push back on. In fact, there's one word that you said that I want to pick out. You use the word, I think you either said impulsive or impulsivity in terms of content creation. And I want to spend some time there. Mm-hmm. When you see something pop up on your Twitter feed, your Instagram feed, a YouTube comment, I'll share, honestly, there are times where I will want to respond quickly, or I will see something flash across the news trailer and I will want to reply. I will want to do something. When you have that instinct, what do you do with it? I, I take a break. Right there, as soon as I start feeling that strong emotion, I take a break. uh, And something that I try and do is actually share whatever it is that's gotten me riled up with someone who's non-medical to see how they're interpreting that piece of information. Because a lot of times with my experience, I may see something as so inflammatory and inaccurate where I will send it to my videographer, for instance, and he'll say, oh, I didn't take it this way. I took it completely differently and I don't think it's as bad. And all of a sudden I realize that it's completely based on perspective, the way that I'm seeing these things. So I try and get someone else's opinion. I try and make sure that I give myself enough time to cool off. And at the same time, I decide which pathways of the fork I'm going to take. Now, in this fork, I have one of two ways I can act. I can go down route one, which is where I rally my base and we get everybody angry and we rile up and emotional. And that's like what's sort of happening in politics right now. We're becoming very tribal. We're becoming more and more polarized in what we believe in. And that's what happens when you see a tweet by someone, they put inaccurate medical information and you right away counter it. This is inaccurate. Here's the truth. This is a lie. I'm a doctor. And you put it out there. Route two is how can I influence here this person or the viewers that are going to be seeing this away from inaccurate information? And sometimes that's the less sexy route. Because sometimes that route is going to get you less attention. It's going to get you less following. It's going to get you less credibility. Because nowadays, the, the, the reality of the matter is the louder your voice is, the more upset you are, uh, which could be the right amount of upset, but the louder you are on social media, the more people are going to follow you, the more your voice will be amplified. So sometimes taking that secondary approach where, okay, maybe I won't message this person directly on social media for everyone to see, and I'll shoot them a text. And maybe we can change the way that they function in the future, which is way more effective if you think in terms of looking at it at the big picture, because now they may change their action as opposed to getting them upset or getting angry at them and taking out your emotion and becoming more popular. I feel like you have that on a dry erase board in the studio, (laughs) or is it so hardwired now that you've just got it? 
you know what it is? I just feel like over the last few weeks with COVID-19, yeah. there's been so much misinformation where, you know, people are, are sharing miracle cures or they're talking yeah. about um, filming your hospital because this isn't really happening or you have it from the other end of the aisle, even physicians going on social media or television saying that COVID-19 is no different than the flu and we'll all be fine and everyone's overreacting. So I've had emotional times where I wanted to message something right away or I wanted to act out, but I said, let me get more information. And I actually have a few examples uh, of those recently, if I may. Um, you may. <laughs> why you are here. Yes, your examples are currency. So yes, please. So um, Dr. Drew Pinsky, uh, an internal medicine, addiction medicine, duly board certified physician, quite popular in media, goes back to the Loveline days, was a CNN contributor not too long ago. Within the time frame of the start of the COVID-19 situation, not when it was a pandemic, he went on several TV stations on his podcast and mentioned that he believes that COVID-19 is not serious, that this is a press-induced panic, that it's no different from the flu, it's less virulent than the flu. I'm actually quoting him at this point. And someone put together a compilation, actually, of him saying all of these things with dates and all of that. And when I first saw it, I got enraged. I said, no way. This is someone who I trusted with medical advice because in the past I heard him speak very accurately and succinctly about medicine. And now I feel betrayed, A, and B, I worry about the potential consequences of that. Are we going to have patients that are going to hear him who trust him, like myself, that are going to say, oh, this is no big deal. I'm going to go out and not socially distance. I'm going to go out and take a trip unnecessarily, put my family at risk. So when I saw that, I right away started writing a message to Dr. Drew publicly saying, please explain this. And I said, well, wait a second. All I know is what I saw in this video. Let me see what else is going on. So I started looking at research and I looked on his page and what did I find? He, an hour before that, issued already a really long, honest, heartfelt apology about what he did was wrong and there was no need for me to add on to that. I would not be adding value. The only thing I would be doing in that conversation is getting my anger out and potentially rallying my base, that option one route, and getting me more popular by having people see what I stand for and seeing my morals and putting them on display. And I was glad that I didn't put out that message uh, because it wouldn't have done anyone any good. There was no positivity from it. Uh, so that was one example of when I was able to pause. And then a second example was also with someone who's very high caliber in the TV space, Dr. Oz. Um, he went on, he's been doing a lot of television lately, and he was on, uh, for this specific example, Fox News, Fox and Friends. And they asked them something about the panic and the anxiety that comes along with COVID-19. And his quote, and I'm paraphrasing here, was that he believes the panic and anxiety related to COVID-19 is worse than the actual disease of COVID-19. He thinks that many doctors believe that. And he received instantly a lot of pushback on social media from a lot of my colleagues. Uh, they started writing, no, talk to any doctor in NYC, talk to a nurse that's working in the ICU. And right away, I had a visceral reaction again. No way. I'm on the front lines. I have friends that work in the ICU who are reusing the same disposable N95 mask. They're coming home to their families, potentially exposing them to the virus because of that. This is not accurate. 
But then again, I could tweet, I could send out a message. And again, it will rally my base. It will get people excited. People will start following me. They'll say, Dr. Mike believes in the right thing. But what's the value in that? All I'm doing is contributing to this sort of uproar without any kind of practical advice or takeaway. So what did I do? I uh, actually have Dr. Oz's phone number. I went ahead and texted him that he's getting a lot of critique for this statement and that I agree with the critique. It came off as somewhat out of touch and I explained myself to him and I'm happy to report that Dr. Oz was very welcoming of this feedback, said he completely understood where the feedback was coming from, that he misspoke the way that he imagined it in his mind did not come out the right way, which is understandable because I do live television and sometimes what you say live isn't exactly what you were thinking, and that he would correct his statements uh, on his upcoming TV appearances the following day. So while that will not get as much attention as a tweet of me critiquing this type of statement, uh, it did more, I think, because actually it helped Dr. Oz. He knew what he could do better. Uh, the audience is going to get a better message when he goes on next time. And he, he, whether you like it or not, you know, he is a polarizing figure in, in our medical circle, um, still has the ear of many patients. So if we can somehow all come together and decide on what's the best way to put accurate information out there, even if it's not at the benefit any of any of us specifically, I think that's a worthwhile cause. I'm taking on board all of what you just shared, and I'm going to reflect to you what I think are two important takeaways. One of them is you have taken ownership of your reach and your influence in a way that I'll be quite honest before this conversation, I suspected, but now I've got it. Now, I, now I know. You are a matured personality, and I don't mean to sound condescending. I mean that you've done this long enough, clearly, where you know how to pull those levers of reach and influence to be most effective. You could absolutely sick the dogs of war on, on anybody you want and hammer them, but it's that understanding of what is the value in doing this, and I like you said that over and over. And that gets into the second thing that I took out of this. There's this commitment and it comes out of how we train. It comes out of the, the oath that we take. It comes out of the work that we do, the commitment to getting better. How do we as individuals get better? How do we help others to get better? How do we do it in a way that is supportive, helpful, as opposed to aggressive and will just cause them to put their armor up and the next time you text somebody, they'll say, I'm not returning that text message. The last time I did that, I got a tongue lashing and I'm not interested. It, it must be difficult or it must have been difficult to get to that place. Or did it come naturally to you to see that value proposition and also take ownership of this idea of you can use your influence to help people get better? You know what it is? I've been exposed to a lot of internet personalities based on my experiences on social media, who I feel are very smart, who are very educated and have a lot to offer to the world, but are not effective in their message because their message is not unifying. And when your message is not unifying, it takes away your ability to influence others. One of the most important principles of psychology of influence is you have to get the other person to like or respect you. And if you right away come out swinging and saying why someone's wrong or stupid or their facts are incorrect, 
you're already setting yourself up to lose. And again, it really depends on what your goals are. For me, my goal is to improve the situation as a whole. So to me, unless you're going to influence that person and the viewers, you're losing that goal. You know, some other people may say my goal is to become the most popular personality on social media, then you're not, you're actually succeeding in your goal. So it really depends what you're setting out to do. And I think a good example of this would be how medical providers as a whole take on the conversation of those who are vaccine hesitant or even anti-vaxxers. It's very common for doctors to have patients kicked out of their practice if they don't get their vaccinations. It's very common to see doctors uh, scold anti-vaxxers, to make fun of them. I mean, uh, you see plenty of doctors on social media that say like, what are they thinking? Whack jobs, throwing around really strong words. I understand where that's coming from completely. I mean, as a doctor, you see unnecessary death in front of you, you wanna say the term whack job. Like that, I understand the visceral reaction. But now, if you really sit and think about it from a psychological perspective, what your goal is, and if your goal is to get more people to do vaccinations for themselves and their children, the proper route is going to be to get that person to like and respect you. And I've read so many books on this subject where one of the simplest examples is if you're trying to find a common path or common ground with someone who disagrees with you, by right away at the outset, telling them that they're wrong or critiquing them or calling them a name, you're putting a stone in between you and that path. So you're making it already more difficult. So what I try and do, even when I make a piece of content about anti-vax individuals, or I make a piece of content talking about a doctor tweeting something, it has to be restrained and honest and constantly reevaluated with what's my ultimate goal by making this piece of content. And I think when you look at my YouTube channel and you see certain videos that I put up, it's very easy to say, wow, he struck gold. He has 6 million YouTube subscribers, nearly 6 million. uh, And he makes silly YouTube videos about memes, uh, reacting to medical memes, uh, watching Grey's Anatomy. Anyone could do that. The amount of work that goes behind figuring out the type of content to do, how to make it variable so it's not always the same thing, it takes at least four to five hours to come up with a title and thumbnail for a video because all of the traffic that comes to your video is not because you have a lot of subscribers. It's based on how much people are ready to click on that thumbnail and title. So the amount of psychology that goes behind all of this is really understated. In doing all of this for these YouTube videos, I've become more proficient, still not perfect, making a ton of mistakes along the way, but becoming more proficient and understanding each time when I'm making a piece of content, when I'm saying something on camera, what is my purpose? What am I trying to accomplish here? Am I educating? Am I converting? Am I simply trying to rally my base? And sometimes there's different methods for whatever you choose to do, and sometimes you choose the wrong path, and then you have to... Uh, deal with those consequences, but it's not an easy journey. And especially in my YouTube channel, I have never used a teleprompter. um, And I just speak off the top of my mind as honest and as unfiltered as I can be so that people can learn who I am as a person and they can see where I'm coming from. Therefore, they can sort of see some similarity between myself and them. And hopefully we all get to the point where we're all using evidence-based medicine for ourselves and our families. Maybe I'm a dreamer, but that's the goal.
I'm, 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 I'm literally grinning ear to ear specifically around what you just said about no teleprompter. Cause as I'm creating content, as I'm doing, you know, my intros for an episode or something like that, I, I script nothing. It's, 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 it's where we are. It's who we are. It's what we're feeling. It's that amalgamation of experience and vision and wanting to connect that I think is, is so powerful. And, and, And like you say, is incredibly effective. I think that there is, there's a tension in what you're saying though. And it's part of the medicine that you and I maybe felt a little bit earlier in our career. And we can see those tectonic plates shifting and it's that hierarchical relationship between a physician and a patient. There, there's no interest, I think, anymore in that sort of ground remaining as non-leveled as it's been in the view of people who are seeking healthcare. Uh-huh. I think for physicians, it's an adjustment. And we have to adjust swiftly because when we reply in that patriarchal or matriarchal manner of, I know better than you, therefore you will do. It it is not as effective as it was back in the day. And we have to acknowledge that and then work to get better. You're doing that. And we have to, I think when we, we talked a little bit and I think for me, it's really important. We want those legions of people coming up behind us to really meet people where they live, to educate and to learn and to get better. That's going to be a pivotal part of this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you in that the model, the paradigm has shifted in how doctors have to communicate with patients, that it's now not the doctor barking orders at you. It's it's a team-based approach. And, I, you know, I'm an immigrant and I came to the United States when I was six years old. I grew up with very strict parents. And I also, at the same time, while acknowledging that, know that there's certain personalities that will do well with that kind of approach, with a more disciplined, no, 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 you need to cut that out. Those like that smoking, you need to stop. This is how you do it. This is why I think it it's, it's almost like a next level of thinking. Like if we had to separate what is the most optimal approach, the team-based approach is most definitely the optimal approach. If we look at a law of averages, but then if you're really going to the next level, I think a top clinician would be able to understand how all those different approaches work for different types of patients and maybe even different uh, positions in their own lives, in their each, each of their lives, so that a patient who's recently lost a family member, you cannot use the same approach with that same patient when they just got a promotion at work. And really understanding that level of communication takes years of experience. I'm by no means an expert in that, but I've worked with some clinicians that I saw them you know, be the kindest, sweetest uh, doctor to patients where they're opening their yogurts uh, on an inpatient service for them when we're doing rounds, when I see that same doctor become quite snarky and tell his patients, hey, you got to cut that out. And it worked. It's They knew their patients. And I think that's also the beauty of family medicine, that you have this long, ongoing relationship with your patients. It's longitudinal. You see how they've developed. You see what experiences have worked for them. And because of that, you become better at communicating certain things to them. And I don't think a one-size-fits-all approach rarely rarely works. You've just unlocked the tension around this idea of the line because you're right. You are 100% correct. When you're in the exam room or when I'm rounding in the hospital as a hospitalist, right, as I'm moving from room to room, I am 
shape-shifting. I am adapting. I am being dynamic and agile to try to learn as much as I can about somebody, figure out the right levers to influence behaviors, to make good decisions, to move them through the hospital stay. All of those things you just described I'm doing. There's a tremendous amount of granularity in there, and there's a tremendous amount of training and experience and failure and wanting to get better. Social media is a much more blunt instrument. It is much harder, I think, to be agile like that because, like you say, you don't know who you're interacting with. That line, as I was listening to you talk, I realized that the line that we're trying to figure out, it's always moving. And that is really, really difficult ground to navigate. Yeah, it's it gets trickier because it's not only even as how society changes, it's what's going on with current events. Yes. Uh, where are you at in your own life? Uh, like, you know, I normally make a lot of lighthearted content on my channel. But with COVID-19, even though I want to move away from the bad news and bring some lighthearted content back, it just doesn't feel right to be laughing and dancing and grinning during a time when there's a lot of people who are really sick. And that's a yeah. personal choice. Yeah. There's some people who uh, feel that they need this type of um, release, this pressure release valve of showing them having a good time, of them showing that there is positivity still out there, which is all right. But it, it just it's to each our own how we deal with this very huge task of trying to put out content for an audience of thousands, sometimes millions who are faceless to you. You don't know who's watching that content. So that brings up a, another component of, of how we're reacting in context. And as I heard you describe those sort of forks in the road that you'll take when you decide how to respond, I was thinking that what I worry about may actually be sort of a third fork. And I think within our healthcare milieu, what's emerging is this phenomenon of people on social media wanting to break news wanting to kind of be first on the spot with a story almost. And I, you know, I was a sports writer when I was in college. And so I have a little bit of background in journalism. So I can, I think I sort of see that dynamic of when you're first on the scene, what happens, right? You identify that. What are your goals to be first on the scene? Do you want more followers? Do you want more clicks? Are you trying to share good quality information? I just, I don't know that that's the right role for us to be taking because the things around this breaking news, none of it's good stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it's breaking news around the, the the death confirmed or unconfirmed of a healthcare professional. It's breaking news around a, a medication and a, some study. I've caught myself in that place. Yeah. What I, did, what's your thought around this idea of healthcare providers, physicians, nurses, and others in this rapidly evolving news cycle, even participating? You know, I think I'm probably the most boring person to ask that question to because I'm so <laughs> conservative with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. When when the when the whole news of uh, it wasn't COVID-19, it was the novel coronavirus at the time uh, started breaking. I was flooded with messages, people saying, please cover this on your YouTube channel. And it took yeah. me two weeks yeah. to do it because I just didn't want to do it until I had some useful and practical information to give. Meanwhile, I've seen other channels do it. I've seen Twitter doctors talk about it. Yeah. And I just want to be sure that the information I'm giving is accurate, it's useful, and I'm not just jumping on a bandwagon. And part of what I do is when I make these videos, I even state explicitly when the video starts that today's date is March whatever, because <laughs> right. after this date, 
a lot of this information may be inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. So this is like, I look back at my first video that I made in February about COVID and it has five and a half million views. It did great. But I look at it, there's some things that are inaccurate in it. Luckily, I opened the video by saying just that, that if you're watching after February, things will change. It's a rapidly evolving situation and you have to give all of that. You can't speak in uh, about medicine without nuance. And sometimes it's difficult because you want to be concise. You don't want to overwhelm patients. But at the same time, you have to make sure that you're giving a clear total picture. Because right now, with the amount of breaking news that comes out, it's so confusing to know what's right. And when you put out information that's contradictory, you right away lose your audience's trust. Like I think the CDC recommending wearing cloth masks is actually a huge mistake and I'm not speaking about that scientifically because the research really isn't there about how much cloth masks help or hurt, but I'm talking about it more at a level of trust. I think the fact that the CDC was adamant before to not use masks and now they've gone back on it has probably done more harm than good when we're talking about earning the public's trust. I don't know if you agree with me on that. I agree with you 100%. And I think making sure that if you are going to put newsworthy content out there that you either, as you do qualify it with, this is the date, this is subject to change or wait and be right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is, especially now there is so much at stake. We hang on each other's every word. When you drop a YouTube video now, I mean, people are waiting for that YouTube subscription alert to ping that says Dr. Mike has a new video. They stop what they're doing and they're watching it. People are on pins and needles for this. And I think owning that responsibility is is absolutely pivotal and acknowledging that part of that responsibility is to say, we're not TMZ. We're not a news channel. Yeah. We've got to go a little bit slower with so much of this stuff because once you put it out there, it's it's it, it can turn into a feeding frenzy. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice I give to doctors who are interested in starting social media is know that everything and everything you put online is there forever, even if you delete it. There is uh, archives for everything. Like a good example that are Instagram stories, which disappear after 24 hours. So people don't think it's a big deal. Well, guess what? There's actually a site you could go on and search a doctor's name or anyone's name for that matter. And it'll give you their entire story history since they've made their account. You can pull up any story that person did, even though it doesn't exist on Instagram anymore. So you have to be aware that whatever you're saying, whatever you're putting out, it's there. It's going to live on the Internet. And like you said, we aren't TMZ. Our job is to put accurate information out there and approach it with a level of humility. Yeah. You know, like that's when, when I actually did the video about Dr. Drew. My thing is his mistake wasn't that he was wrong about COVID. You're allowed to be wrong as an expert when giving your expert opinion because, you know, medicine is an art as much as it is a science. Two doctors can look at the same patient and have a different treatment plan, even a different diagnosis at times. But the problem was he was so certain that he was correct that he forgot that little level of humility in saying, you know, this is my expert opinion. Things can change and we will all continue to monitor the situation and I'll update you as it goes. And that's all you have to say, right? That's, that's as a hospitalist hearing you say that, that I say that every day Yeah. that look, yeah. we're going to implement this. We're going to do X test. We're going to implement Y therapy and we're going to circle back 
and I'll touch base with your family and we'll, we'll see how we're doing. And if we need to adapt on the fly, we're going to adapt on the fly, acknowledging that this is really, really hard and that we have to do it as a team. And it's interesting that you brought up Dr. Oz and Dr. Drew. I mean, I remember them from when I was in college and medical school, they've been around for a while. When I was in college, Dr. Oz was famous for his work as a physician. I feel like that is long gone. Dr. Drew was famous because he was doing Love Line and, you know, he was, you know, pinging back and forth with Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel and it was funny. And it was also really novel to see a doctor doing that. And so people were like, wow, this is a human being cracking jokes and also passing good information. It does feel like we're far away from that. And I think that's why I would speculate the work that you do is resonating because there is still that part of this is someone who is still doing the same work. How important is it for you, for people to know both in medicine and outside of medicine, you're shoulder to shoulder with us in the trenches as you're in the studio creating content? You know, I think that large doctors on television, on social media, meaning large following do- uh, doctors who have a large following, become victims of their own success. And I huh. consistently reevaluate myself to make sure I'm not falling into that. Because when you have to create content uh, every day or maybe even multiple times a day and you have to be entertaining and your livelihood depends on it. It's very easy to get overconfident or overzealous or overemotional for the wrong reasons. And I hope, and I'm sort of using the fact that I'm still practicing medicine, and that humbles you more than anything because you're <laughs> totally. going to be wrong so often. Patients <laughs> yeah. will tell you you're wrong. Yeah. That It's very humbling to be a doctor. So I think because I'm still doing that quite often – I'm hoping that it will allow me to continue making content down the line where I won't lose that sense of why am I doing this? Am I overstepping a boundary? Am I doing something wrong? And will I overstep a line or a boundary? Absolutely. Will I misspeak? Absolutely. I know. But what I'm committed to is understanding and learning from those opportunities. And I think when we open up our minds to that, we start setting ourselves up to become better humans, better doctors, better communicators. And this even goes further than just medical information. I mean, my primary source of income is not being a doctor. My primary source of income is advertising through my social media. Now, I'm someone who's very against detox teas, miracle cures, uh, supplements that you don't need or that are not medically necessary. And I get approached by companies like that all the time for huge sums of money. I mean, if this was about financial success for me, my God, it would have been so easy to take the first seven-figure deal from a lemon detox tea company or protein fat belly busting uh, combo and call it a day. But at the end of the day, the reason why I did this was I always wanted to be a doctor. I always wanted to educate patients about their health because I had a natural curiosity to learn about the human body, the human mind. And I became a family medicine physician first. And luckily, I had an opportunity to talk about it on TV and social media. And now it's expanded into something so big that at any time, I'm happy to go back and be a family medicine doctor. But at this moment, I'm able to do something even more special where instead of I'm educating 30, 40 patients a day I see in my practice, I'm able to do it with millions of people at home. It's an important dynamic. And I think that navigating those waters and saying, 
these are the places where, again, right, that is a line I'm not going to cross. They can try to money whip me, but I'm not going to do it. And as you were going through the litany of things that have pitched you extraordinary sums of money and you've been able to say no, I think we can all identify the people who have said yes, and we can identify exactly what that's done to their credibility within our profession. It's burned it to the ground. It has absolutely destroyed it, and it would be very, very difficult to rehabilitate it. And it gets to the subject that you and I have spent a lot of time on, which is this idea of where that line is, is demonstrating a level of restraint. And I think that that's really important. But we also want to look at the other side. And where I'm curious, as you move forward, right, because you're going to be doing this for a while, where are the places that specifically within social media, right, YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and all of the platforms by which you have a following, where are the places where you say, you know what, I'm really good at the restraint part of this. I'm really good at seeing the line and staying on this side of it. Where are the places that you would also like to say, you know what, I see the line, but I want to push it. I want to push it forward. I want to jump over it and break some new ground. Are those opportunities out there as well? Yeah, I think that really will come with time as I start expanding my platform to have other experts on, and perhaps experts whom I disagree with. Uh-huh. And I've always uh, been a big fan of having two people respectfully have a conversation about a topic of which they disagree. And yeah. I think the hallmark of an intelligent mind is being able to see and understand someone's point, but not necessarily agree with it. So I would love to get people on my YouTube channel, those who share different ideas than I, that they believe everyone should be taking supplements or they believe that, you know, specific crystals heal them. I would love to get those people on my channel and really challenge them heads on in a positive way where we're both respectful, but we are now taking that line a little bit further by giving them some notoriety and some exposure by coming onto my channel, but at the same time doing it with the hope that when the audience watches it, they see where we're coming from, they'll come away learning something positive. That is an interesting place to to expand. I did not expect you to say that and I'm I'm delighted. It'll be an interesting challenge, right? You want to make sure you're doing it with people where you're doing the work that you just described without giving your air to a voice or an idea that we would know to be harmful. Exactly. You know, it's tricky and I I don't know what the right answer to it is. I think a good example in uh, traditional media was I remember this is maybe two years ago, Megyn Kelly, when she was still on air, she gave a platform to Alex Jones. Are you familiar with Alex Jones? I'm familiar with Alex Jones. (laughs) Um, I'm going to quote him. uh, COVID-19 eats men's testicles. That was his latest thing that came across my Twitter feed. Um, (laughs) But she gave him a platform to challenge him because I think actually Megan Kelly was a great interviewer uh, when she was on air. I think she did a great job of challenging people and she brought him on for that purpose. But a lot of people were very upset at her for doing that by giving him an opportunity to say that he's a Sandy Hook denier or whatever controversial stand that he took. And I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if you want to not give those people a platform or do you want to give them a platform And honestly have a discussion so that the people watching can make honest decisions for themselves with which side they agree. What's your take on that? It's the question for our time. We talk about how our society has become so polarized and that 
it's that, that question that you just framed, that is a central dogma for how do we unlock that polarization? What is the right way to do that? I don't know the answer. I will be honest. If you look through the archive of Explore the Space, you know, almost 200 episodes strong at this point, I haven't had somebody on who I know I am going to tangle with, whose viewpoints are anathema to mine. I haven't done that. Um, I don't, and I, I'll be honest, I also haven't sat in that space of should I yet? I think you're farther down that road than I am. And I'm actually really interested in in thinking that through in a little bit more detail. But how do we unlock that polarization, right? As a student of history, that's what I got my degree in when I was at UCLA is you look at those friction points, you look at those points of tension, the great leaders, the great orators are the ones who can communicate in the in the manner that you're describing, where you can bring people on board, you can build that coalition. And I think what you're sounding is a really aspirational note for people who have these platforms to start that work. It's going to be hard. I think it's really going to be worth doing. I'll be honest, you've given me a lot to think about with that one. <laughs> and we're going to need to do another episode with you coming on because we're going to have to walk that road together. Because again, in a polarized society, if our commitment is to continue to get better, we can't just settle for that. We can't just say, oh, it's polarized. It's going to be a it's going to be a really rough election season in 2020. Bummer. That's not acceptable. We do yeah. need to continue to work to get better. Starting to unlock that is going to be hard. And I think it's worth it. Yeah, I think... I ultimately think that hiding information from others is not going to be a successful strategy long term. Yeah. Yeah. Because while Facebook and Google and everybody in between is going to be doing their best to limit misinformation, unless we're comfortable as the experts, as people on the front lines to come out and speak honestly about it and meet these uh, ideas head on, even if it's something as boring as saying, no, the evidence isn't there and here's how we make our decisions. Even if it's something as simple as saying that, we have to be there. It's not enough to just uh, downplay it or make fun of it or imagine that it's not there and hope it goes away on its own. It Those things rarely go away on their own. And I'm actually sitting in front of my bookshelf here and I have a book here called How to Have Impossible Conversations, a very practical guide. And I've read it cover to cover twice just to think about how can I do better in that situation if I was put into that? Because, you know, when when I make my YouTube content, it is edited. So I have the flexibility of messing up and doing a retake. But if you're going to sit down with an interview that with someone who maybe vehemently disagrees with you, you're not going to get a second chance and you have to really be ready for that. And the way that I'm prepping is to take baby steps. You know, I had no media training. No one's ever taught me how to be on television or how to speak the right way or how to be respectful uh, when arguing with someone or debating with someone. So by going on YouTube and talking about this Dr. Drew situation or Dr. Oz situation or even the Dr. Mercola situation, I'm learning what the audience's response is going to be like, what my own responses because you know our bodies react we have physiological responses doctors are human too so when i ask a contentious question i know i'm going to be sweating and my heart's going to be racing so how do i get better at handling that and i don't think the simple answer there is to take a propanolol the answer is to step into the tension and do that hard work i did write that book title down because that's going to go right on my shelf next to crucial conversations which for Uh me was uh, a hugely important book, but I cannot wait to read how to have impossible conversations. And I'll thank you for that reference. <laughs> for this sure. might sound kind of funny for me to ask you this, 
but I do want to know, and I, I want people to have a good understanding of where do they find you as they're listening to this and they're, and they're saying, there are things here that I want to learn more about or see for myself or experience again, or perhaps for the first time, where do people find you and how do they connect? Yeah, uh, on my social media platforms, I'm Dr. Mike, but uh, what's unique is that the doctor word is spelled out. Um, if you search that, everything will come up. My primary form of education comes through YouTube, and I have all sorts of content, some of it lighthearted, some of it covering very dense medical research, COVID-19 topics, talking about something even as serious as uh bias uh, for gender and race within the medical community. So I'm trying to explore new avenues of talking about difficult subjects, and I hope to continue doing that on my YouTube platform. You do remarkable work, and well, I, you. you're absolutely welcome. I, I enjoy it. I learn from it. I find it motivating. I find it stimulating and, and, and educational in, a, in ways that I didn't expect, and that's why I think I am so excited about helping others learn how to find their footing on social media because we have that opportunity that you've illustrated so well to help influence people's lives in the right way. So for that and for coming and spending so much time with us, I am I'm grateful and thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, all the kind words. And you also have to give yourself credit, you know, with 200 plus episodes now of your podcast, you're making the same difference that I am by uh, bringing a light to people who are making a difference by uh, challenging them, asking them very good questions. I'm not going to lie. I've done several podcasts recently and you've asked me the best questions thus far. So very, uh, very great job on the interview. That's kind of you to say, we're going to do this again. We, we, uh, we did not flip all the rocks, so we're going <laughs> to need to let a little bit of water flow past us. And then we're going to need to circle back on some of this great stuff. But until then, thank you so much. Awesome. I'm excited. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to explore the space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.